Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Monday, October 14th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The Federal Reserve keeps dropping U.S. interest rates, which is bad news for U.S. banks. The FT's U.S. finance editor, Rob Armstrong, explains what this means as the results season gets underway. And I talk to the FT's Andrew Edgecliff-Johnson about Levi Strauss and whether its mantra of profits through principles is a winning formula. But first, we're diving into a crucial week for Brexit. The FT's Jim Pickard explains what's at stake in UK politics. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Boris Johnson is hoping as Prime Minister that he will finally secure a Brexit deal at a European Council summit on Thursday. But things are still looking tight for Mr Johnson because not only does he still face potential hostility from some of his own Eurosceptic right-wing MPs, and it would be put to a test potentially in a big Commons vote on Saturday, but also there are signs that we're still not quite in the landing place for a deal with European leaders. And Mr Johnson's hopes of securing a deal ahead of the summit on Thursday We're in jeopardy on Sunday evening after two days of intensive negotiations left Brussels somewhat baffled about the UK's new customs proposals. And Mikel Barnier, the EU chief Brexit negotiator, told diplomats on Sunday evening that British plans to keep Northern Ireland in the UK customs territory while avoiding a hard border on the island of Ireland were fiendishly complex and not yet properly worked out. And meanwhile, on Monday... We will see the Johnson government put forward the Queen's speech, which is where the monarch presents the legislative programme of various laws that the governing prime minister wants to put forward. But for a lot of people, this is a bit of a sideshow to the main event, which is will the prime minister secure a deal with the EU where his predecessor Theresa May failed? And then will he get it through the House of Commons in this big vote that we are expecting next Saturday. Back in September, the Federal Reserve made its second interest rate cut of the year. And with its next monetary policy meeting creeping up, investors wouldn't be surprised by another cut. So what does all this chopping mean for banks? The FT's Rob Armstrong explains. The most important piece of context is still the Fed and the rate environment. So the Fed, a few months or half a year ago, was still cautiously in rate-raising mode. But now they are consistently sounding dovish. And what that means is that interest rate and interest rate expectations are both pretty soft. And what that means for banks is that their lending margins are under pressure. This has been a theme for a couple of quarters now. It's once again going to be the first thing that investors are looking for as they go through those bank earnings and listening to the management presentations. How much margin pressure is there on banks which make money from interest rates? The banks that would be hit hardest by a low rate environment, and we really are in a sustained environment of low rates, tend to be the smaller American banks which have much simpler businesses. They take deposits and they lend money to businesses. And those business loans are very interest rate sensitive, by which I mean as soon as the Fed cuts rates, what the banks earn in interest on those loans goes down immediately. 
So it's not so much the JP Morgans or the Citibanks or the Goldman Sachs that get hit first, but the smaller regional banks. The FT is currently diving into a series called The Company of the Future, where we take a look at the difficult trade-offs companies must make to survive. You might have heard me talk about some of the stories from that series, chatting to reporters about Royal Dutch Shell and Novo Nordisk. Next up in the series, I talk to the FT's U.S. business editor, Andrew Edgecliff-Johnson, about the clothing manufacturer, Levi Strauss. Levi's has undergone some serious changes this year, rejoining the public market for the first time in decades. Here's what Edge, as we like to call him, had to say. It's a consumer brand. It's a popular brand. We all remember the ads in the 80s. But it's run into, frankly, some reputational risks in recent years. Probably the first one was when you started to see manufacturing for the apparel industry leave the American shores. The second and sort of enduring one, I think, is the environmental impact of a company like Levi's. Now, you may not think very much about the environmental impact of a a pair of jeans, but to make them, you need cotton, you need an awful lot of water, and to stonewash them just the way we like them, you needed an awful lot of chemicals. Now, Levi's has started to invest in processes and practices to try to reduce that environmental impact. One of those things, interestingly enough, is lasers. Can you can you walk me through that? Yeah, so if you go to the Eureka Innovation Lab just around the corner from Levi's headquarters which in you San went Francisco, to. which I did, yeah. uh, when I went to see Chip Berg, their CEO, you've got a lot of jeans out on the floor. You've got people working sewing machines. You've got big tumblers with stones washing jeans. But you also have this little room with a pair of jeans kind of held up by a robot, you know, on one end. And you stand at the other end, and suddenly you see this wisp of smoke working its way across the jeans. And you realize that a laser is actually etching the pattern of a creased pair of jeans into this perfect, pristine, you know, denim. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's quite fun. But more than being fun, it actually cuts the number of different chemical formulations they need to use for finishing a pair of jeans dramatically, about 90%. Andrew, I want to play you a clip real quick, uh, something that Mr. Berg said to you during your interview with him. Here it is. What does profits through principles mean? You know, and, and I stood up on stage on day two and I said, profits through principles doesn't mean we're a nonprofit organization. Not a nonprofit organization. Andrew, what does that mean? It's a good question. This is something he said to his staff the second day after he took the job in 2011. He came in from 28 years at Procter & Gamble and saw this company which had been drifting for a long time. And it had these principles that had been laid down by the very earliest generations of the Levi Strauss family. So the founder himself was a big philanthropist. He gave a lot of his profits to orphanages in San Francisco. He endowed scholarships at the local university. And this created a tradition of giving back to the community, which now sounds very modern. But what he's saying is these principles, be it corporate philanthropy, they do give about 2% of their profits to a foundation, which is relatively high for corporate America, or these investments in improving living conditions in the, for the people working in the supply chain, improving their environmental footprint, These are things you can only actually do if you have a financially sustainable business. And we talk a lot about corporate sustainability. He's saying it has to start with us making a profit. Otherwise, nothing else matters. One thing that it just kind of occurs to me is that Levi Strauss, much like Novo Nordisk, has this kind of control over its voting rights in a way that other companies may not have. 
this might be nice for them, but for companies who don't have that kind of luxury, is it unrealistic to be able to do this sort of thing? Yes. Yeah, so the family exerts its control through these super voting shares. You know, their shares have 10 votes for every one vote that your share as a public market punter has. That doesn't seem very fair to a lot of people, including a lot of quite large investors. So the Council for Institutional Investors uh, wrote to Levi's saying, this harms accountability. Yeah, this is not a level playing field. They would like to see, at the very least, a sunset provision saying once family ownership, economic ownership drops below a certain level, you have to dilute their voting rights to the same as everybody else's. We're seeing this fight play out in company after company. You remember we saw it with WeWork. We've seen it in places like Snap and a lot of the other big unicorn companies coming new to the market, relatively young companies. It's not just the ones with family trees going back more than 100 years. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. The FT has launched a new podcast called The Rockman Review, a weekly look at global affairs by the FT's chief foreign affairs commentator, Gideon Rockman. The show will take in some of the interviews with decision makers and analysts Gideon meets in his travels around the world. And the show will draw on the FT's great network of foreign correspondents. This podcast is exclusively for FT subscribers, so if that's you, please go to ft.com forward slash Rockman Review. Sign up for a taste of the global political debates that Gideon writes about in his columns. 